0: This is an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. From ABC News headquarters, here is correspondent Aaron Katursky. Coronavirus has now
1: killed more than a thousand people in the United States. More than a third of those deaths are in New York, where Governor Andrew Cuomo said patients were staying on ventilators longer and dying from complications caused by the virus.
2: We now have people who have been on a ventilator for 20 days, 30 days. The longer you are on a ventilator, the more likely you're not going to come off
3: the ventilator.
1: It was not the only grim milestone of the day there's the first data point on the economic toll of the pandemic. More than 3 million Americans filed claims for unemployment benefits last week, as if everyone in the entire city of Chicago was suddenly laid off.
2: This explosion of first-time claims for unemployment benefits topping 3 million really does demonstrate the toll that these unprecedented efforts to contain the deadly outbreak take on the job market. Uh, this record number of claims is shocking, but it's not totally surprising for days now. We've heard how state systems were overwhelmed by the rush to file claims for unemployment benefits as people were thrown out of work.
1: Behind all of those numbers are people. There is also hope for a possible treatment. Doctors at Mount Sinai here in New York are studying antibodies from patients who have had the virus and recovered. So we've asked Dr. Angela Baldwin to join us from the ABC News Medical Unit. She's a resident physician at Montefiore Medical Center. What's the hope here, and how does it work?
2: They're using convalescent plasma, which is when you take the plasma from someone who has recovered from COVID-19, and that plasma contains antibodies that the person against the virus, and then this plasma with the antibodies to the virus are given to a person who's sick with COVID-19 as a treatment. Um, but this is actually not a new concept. Uh, convalescent plasma has been used to treat SARS, uh, Ebola, MERS, or the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome. So uh, it's actually it's a great idea that uh, you know Mount Sinai is, is starting to to engage in this.
1: Can anyone participate?
2: Patients can participate in clinical trials in order to obtain access to convalescent plasma, but. Um, It's not necessarily readily available to all patients in potential needs because not everybody has the ability or the access to uh, sign up for these trials right away. So because of this, given the health crisis that we're in, the FDA is facilitating access to COVID-19 convalescent plasma for use in patients with serious or immediately life-threatening COVID-19 infections um, through this process called the Emergency Investigational New Drug Application and so this allows the use of investigational drugs for the treatment of an individual patient uh, by a licensed physician once it's um, authorized by the FDA.
1: But to be clear, this isn't a drug. This is a, a treatment that would involve, what, injecting uh, sick patients with the antibodies from someone who's recovered?
2: Exactly right. So it's not a drug in the sense that it's something that's completely uh, manufactured. It's literally just taking the plasma, which is the portion of the blood that has the antibodies, and uh, putting it into the person who is sick, giving them little fighters to help the virus.
1: How much hope should we place in this?
2: It's a very good question. I mean, at this time, we cannot say for certain how effective it's going to be. It's certainly not going to be a situation where you infuse the antibodies and a person who's almost deadly sick is going to like recover right away. Um, But it does show promise. And as I mentioned before, it has been used in severely ill patients uh, who have SARS, Ebola, and the Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, and has shown promise there. So I think we can be hopeful that it will provide some improvement, but to the degree and how fast, um, that we just cannot be sure of.
1: And in the meantime, we know there are still so many others who are getting sick and having to go to the hospital. The FDA has also approved a measure to split ventilators between patients should the need arise. Governor Andrew Cuomo today said that wasn't ideal, but it's workable. What does that involve?
2: That's taking a ventilator that is usually only used for one person and doing this kind of configuration with the tubes and and splitting it. You know, as as mentioned, it's not ideal because you'll have people who require two different ventilator settings. So the likelihood of two people requiring the same exact settings um, and, they, and they just happen to be paired up on the same machine, it's, it's not that high, and we haven't done any studies yet to investigate whether or not uh, viral particles can pass from one person to the other. So it is an option.
1: But as you say, the patients would each have to breathe at the same rate.
2: Exactly. So they would have to have the same exact ventilator settings, and it's, it's not something that really commonly occurs, but it, it, can, it can occur.
1: Dr. Baldwin, you've also been looking into what's been reported increasingly now, that COVID patients are talking about a loss of smell and maybe altered taste.
2: Right. So um, the American Academy of Head and Neck Surgeons basically uh, released a report earlier in the week saying that there is anecdotal evidence from uh, sites around the world that anosmia, which is the loss of smell, and uh, dysgeusia, which is altered sense of taste, are significant symptoms associated with COVID-19. Um, and anosmia, in particular, has been seen in patients ultimately testing positive for the coronavirus that have no other symptoms. Now, the reason why this makes sense is because we already know that many viral infections, including the common cold, can cause the loss of the sense of smell or altered taste. And actually, about 40% of patients recovering from viral illnesses report a loss of smell. And so since many of these viruses that cause the common cold are in the coronavirus family, it's not a far reach to think that COVID-19, which is also caused by coronavirus, uh, could present with some of the same symptoms.
1: Dr. Angela Baldwin from our medical unit and our chief medical correspondent, Dr. Jennifer Ashton, will be here shortly to answer more of your questions about coronavirus. The crisis is hitting America's jails particularly hard. Today, Attorney General William Barr issued new recommendations to the Bureau of Prisons to explore releasing certain at-risk prisoners to home confinement.
4: Obviously, the thing I'm most worried about is a particular facility becoming petri
1: dish. ABC's Sasha Pesnick has been looking into this. Sasha's here now. What did you find?
5: What we're hearing, Aaron, is that tensions are running really high um, as this virus seems to be sweeping what seems like every corner of our world for incarcerated populations that's all the more intense it's, it's hit jails and prisons particularly hard. Unfortunately, a jail is not a good, ki- a good place to have something like this happen. It's a naturally confining place. So, uh, you know, folks that we've spoken to with the Department of Corrections said that they're doing everything they can to separate people.
1: We know how hard that is in particularly overcrowded spots like Rikers Island, the New York City jail complex, where there's been a spike in inmates testing positive. And Sasha, you spoke to a woman whose boyfriend is incarcerated
5: there. You know, right off the bat, I asked how she was doing, and she said, compared to how he's doing, I'm okay, I get to make the choice of staying inside as opposed to going outside. But she's hearing from him the conditions on the inside, how close the quarters are, how sparse the supplies are. They're crammed together in one building, she said. The beds are not even a whole hand apart from each other. You can barely get between them. She says that at one point, he was sleeping right next to someone who ended up testing positive. When they were transferring them to another facility, he ended up being handcuffed to someone who ended up testing positive. It's a really nerve-wracking situation for anyone.
1: New York City has already released 200 low-level nonviolent offenders. And this woman you spoke to, her boyfriend only has a couple of months left on a sentence?
5: That's right. For people who are deemed not a threat to society, they're saying, you know what, we got to get these folks out as soon as possible to stem the spread. And he actually only has a couple months left on his sentence, and he has been on that list to... Get out even sooner than that. Uh, but the issue is that there's such a backlog of paperwork, there's such an influx of, of people to process here that it's, it's even that is getting delayed at this point.
1: Now, we're not using the names of the inmate or his girlfriend, but she did give us permission to let you hear her voice as she said something stark.
2: People who have less than two months left now possibly could have like a death sentence if they catch this thing. They, they're not really going to get any help, so they can possibly die when they had so little time left to get out.
1: So far, at least 75 New York City inmates have tested positive for COVID-19. In one of the first federal cases of its kind during the pandemic, a California man is under arrest and accused of claiming he developed a cure. ABC's Alex Stone with that.
0: This is Keith Middlebrook. Yes, I created the cure that shuts down... The
1: COVID-19. Keith Middlebrook had millions of views on YouTube, claiming he had developed the formula to fight coronavirus. This is
4: it right here, the preloaded injection.
1: He was allegedly accepting money. It was those highly viewed YouTube videos that would be his downfall. U.S. attorney Nick Hanna. He was then soliciting investments in his company. And promising massive profits in return.
0: Just to be clear, there is no vaccine and no cure for coronavirus. Middlebrook was arrested for wire fraud and is now socially isolated in jail. Alex Stone,
1: ABC News, Los Angeles. Coming up, more of your questions answered about COVID 19. I'm Aaron Katursky. You're listening to an ABC News special.
0: You're listening to an ABC News special. COVID-19. What you need to know. Here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach.
6: The developments we're tracking right now, the number of states now on virtual lockdown growing to at least 28. More than 69,000 cases across our 50 states and territories and the dramatic numbers from UNESCO. Nearly 90% of the student population not attending school right now. More than 1.5 billion children and adolescents around the world. Joining us now is ABC chief medical correspondent, Dr. Jen Ashton. Dr. Jen, we heard Governor Cuomo here in New York note a bit of a downtick in the rate of hospital hospitalization here in New York City. So if you can give us some perspective, what does that mean?
7: Well, Amy, he's not sure what it means. And he really expressed some major skepticism in whether or not it was even real. And to be clear, the rate of hospital admissions is still doubling, but it's doing so at a slower pace over the last two to three days. That's obviously good news, but some theories behind that is that, one, some of the more sick patients could take a while to present. So normally we think that's occurring maybe after two weeks, sometimes even longer, of being infected with COVID-19. So that's why you keep hearing the, the look back on Italy, that we were about two to three weeks behind them, and also you heard Governor Cuomo say he thinks the worst hit to New York City will be in two to three weeks from now. However, on the bright spot, it is possibly an indication that these aggressive social distancing measures are buying us time.
6: And remember, that is one of the goals. Yeah, certainly, we can hope that that is perhaps where we're headed. All right, we're going to check back in with you shortly, Dr. Jen Ashton. As the coronavirus cases spike, hospitals struggling around the country are sounding the alarm. Beaumont Health says its eight hospitals will soon reach capacity for ventilators and protective gear. President and CEO of Beaumont Health, John Fox, joins us via Skype. John, thanks so much for being with us now in Beaumont Health, Michigan's largest healthcare. care We mentioned you have eight hospitals. What are the numbers as far as COVID-19 cases look like right now at your facilities?
4: Well, right now, and again, we were at zero two weeks ago. We have about 800 COVID-19 inpatients uh, across our facilities uh, at Beaumont Health. We're also treating a lot on an outpatient basis uh, who are quarantined at home. So it's definitely accelerating. We're growing by over 100 inpatients a day, for the last three or four days here in the Beaumont Health System.
6: Well, and we know that you've taken some aggressive action in light of this. So can you describe what some of those steps have been?
4: Well, two weeks ago, we immediately dropped our elective surgery schedule and freed up probably 25% of the capacity within the system, which we're now backfilling rapidly with COVID-19 patients. In addition, we established eight curbside sites we're doing screenings where people could drive up and screen. And we've done about 8,000 of those already. We also established a Beaumont COVID-19 hotline for people to call in and talk to nurses and others on a screening basis about whether they have potentially the virus or not. We've had over 40,000 calls on that. We also have a Beaumont online app that we uh, believe over 100,000 people have used for self-screening which has been great, and uh, but again, it's uh, been somewhat at the speed of light because that's re- literally only uh, two weeks of work.
6: Yeah, I know, I mean, you're covering it as much as you can on every base. I know the big concern for you and for so many is that your hospitals are near capacity with the ventilators. Talk about some of the other things you're struggling with right now and how people could potentially help.
4: Well, I think the key is to follow the public health guidance. Uh, Anything that we can do to slow the contagion, social distancing, hand washing is critical, will help the entire healthcare sector better deal with this and flatten that curve that everyone talks about.
6: Well, John Fox of Beaumont Health, thank you and your entire staff for all that you're doing to keep Michiganders safe and healthy. Thank you.
4: Thank you. And thank you for your coverage.
6: As coronavirus cases rise here in the U.S., Walmart is one of the leading retailers trying to keep up with consumer demand. Executive Vice President of Corporate Affairs Dan Bartlett is here to share more on how Walmart is responding to the crisis. Dan, thanks for being with us. There are obviously so many issues affecting retailers right now. What would you say is the biggest impact the coronavirus has had on Walmart?
8: Well, the sheer demand of the public right now has been unprecedented. If you just go back over the last 10 days or so, the pattern of shopping was, has been enormous. And in the early days, it was really focused on cleaning products, paper goods and those things. And then as a lot of the talk about shelter in place and those things and people seeing that this was going to be for a sustained period of time. And at the same time, restaurants started shutting down a massive push to buying food and consumption. And so we've seen an unprecedented amount of buying across the country. Um, it's starting to find a little bit of a new normal, I would say, with regards to the level of buying. I think people are understanding that the food supply is going to be there, but it's put an enormous amount of pressure on our on our supply chain. And then frankly, our our biggest concern is in the priority for us or our associates, our employees in those stores who are keeping lights on or keeping the shelves stocked, It's been an incredible time for them, and they have been, really acting in a very heroic way to help serve customers.
6: My hats are off to the people there. They are on the front lines, truly, of this as well. So how are you preventing the spread of the virus, not only to your employees, but to the people then also coming and purchasing items from your stores?
8: It's a very dynamic process. Obviously, across our chain, we have uh, severely increased and, uh, and greatly enhanced the cleaning protocols we have in place, obviously the protocols with our associates themselves about washing their hands, keeping the hands. We're also putting new um, social distancing signage on the floors. We are purchasing plexiglass that we'll be erecting at the cashiers as well as where the pharmacy is to give some protection there. So each day we're constantly evaluating different ways in which we can help not only protect our associates, but also give the comfort level to our customers that the stores that they're shopping are clean and safe.
6: Yeah, and we've seen a lot of places, I'm assuming you've done this as well, who have amended their store hours to allow for some of that cleaning and at times allow elderly folks to come in at specialized times. Talk about what you've done in terms of changing store hours and maybe even maximum occupancy.
8: We have done that, and in, in, uh, typically a Walmart supercenter is uh, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But we're have shut; we shutting the stores down overnight to give that time for there to be deep cleaning. Also, and frankly, give our associates time to restock shelves and, and get the store ready for the next day. So we have done that. We're also doing a special hour every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. for seniors to come in and be able to shop. It's been hugely uh, popular with our, our customers who are over the age of 60. So these things will continue to modify and continue to find ways in some jurisdictions um, and localities where they have restrict, more restrictive policies with regards to how many uh, people can gather in a store. We're obviously accommodating that as well. But, but the, the good thing is, is not only what our associates are seeing in stores is that customers are demonstrating patience. Uh, people understand that these are tense times. And, and we're finding that most people in the communities in which we're serving is that they're, they're doing what you would expect. They are being kind to their neighbor.
6: And that is certainly good to hear. And in terms of anyone who feels that concern or that panic about there not being enough, that feeling of scarcity, what, how are you doing on supplying that increased demand for, you, for your stores? Do you feel like yeah. you're going to be able to keep it up? I mean,
8: well, just think about it. Um, we're selling every five days enough toilet paper for each individual American to have their own role. That just gives a little bit of context of the amount of quantities that are going through our stores right now. The good thing is in the last couple of days, we've seen a somewhat of a leveling off, or I would say the new normal is like, is the way we're putting it, in which the supply chain is, a, is, is catching its breath and it's able to supply the stores. So we are seeing there's going to be specific items that are always going to be under pressure, like toilet paper for whatever reason. But when it comes to the most important things like protein, food, uh, food and consumables, we are getting those shells restocked. There is not a concern. Uh, the American public should not worry and think that there's going to be a run on food or a shortage. Uh, grocery stores like Walmart will provide that food to customers.
6: And thank you. That is very reassuring indeed. Dan Bartlett, thank you for your time and for your service. We appreciate it. Up next, right here, when we come back, getting your work done and saving your sanity with everybody at home in these stressful times, our Dan Harris with the ingredients to that remarkable recipe. Can't wait for it. We're back in a moment.
0: This ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know, continues after this. listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach.
6: Amidst the pandemic, tens of millions of us are now trying to work from home. But as we all know, this can be incredibly tricky, especially if you're locked down with your family. You might love them, but they're not always easy to work with. ABC's Dan Harris has some thoughts on how we can actually get some work done and maintain yeah. our sanity in these circumstances. I've been looking
3: into putting my child up for adoption. It hasn't <laughs> It hasn't worked yet? No. Well
6: and actually how are you managing to get things done while you're living with your family especially when you have young ones around.
3: Look, let's be honest about it. It's difficult to work at home. I mean, I live in New York City in a small apartment, and there are a bunch of us in there, and I don't think we should sugarcoat it, although I have been able to get a a decent amount done with some of the tips I'm going to share with you. All right,
6: yeah, you've got some tips. Let's go through them. The first one is set boundaries. Okay,
3: so I've been talking to a lot of experts about this. It is really important to have a very clear schedule around the house so everybody knows what they're doing when, and then clear boundaries. You might be able to carve out a Corn, it depends how large your living space is, but if you don't have a large one, I don't. You've got to carve out a corner of the living room, as I've done, and said, this is daddy's area. <laughs> you cannot invade my space during these hours he sometimes listens to that.
6: Sometimes. And sometimes it's better than never, right? Uh, Second tip, limit distractions. Okay,
3: so it's distracting enough to have your family around. Let's try to limit distractions like email and social media and YouTube when we're doing something where we need to be focused. There are a whole series of apps that you can download that will help you do this. The other thing is just turn the notifications off on your phone and your computer.
6: That certainly helps because, you know, there are enough memes you can watch them later, right? (laughs) Third tip, I like this one. Give yourself a break.
3: It's this is the most important tip I'm going to give you, because you're, unless you're a saint, you're going to lose your temper. <laughs> you're going to get distracted. It's just We have to accept that that's, we're in a new normal that is really deeply abnormal. And I think giving yourself a break is the only way to survive yeah. here.
6: Also, maybe even given, giving the other people in your home a break. I've been working on that as well.
3: Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think it's incredibly important, right? Because you need to understand they're, just, they're living through the same yep. thing you're living through. And I heard a great expression from a uh, from a meditation teacher the other day when you're fighting with your partner it's like you're both pulling on a rope sometimes you got to drop the rope
6: yeah exactly i agree with that fourth tip unsurprising for a guy who writes books for a living about meditation you say to meditate.
3: Yeah, well, there's a lot of, obviously I say this because I've invested a bunch of time evangelizing on behalf of this practice, but there's a lot of science to show that this can help in exactly the ways we need help right now. It can help you focus. It's been shown to change the parts of the brain that are associated with attention regulation. It can help you stay calm. It's been shown to change the parts of the brain associated with stress. This is what we need right now. You don't have to, it's not, you don't have to join a group. You don't have to wear special outfits. You don't have to sit in a funny position. This is a simple, scientifically validated, secular exercise for the brain.
6: I love it. Dan Harris, as always, thank Thank you you. for coming out of uh, seclusion and joining us here in the studio. And we're joined now by Dr. Jen Ashton, who has even more answers to some of your great questions we've been receiving about the COVID-19 virus. So, Dr. Jen, we'll start with the first one. Given the shortage, I'm conflicted about masks. We've been told only to wear one if you're coughing or feeling ill. Should we all be wearing masks if we go outside?
7: Well, according to the CDC, Amy, the answer is no. Um, If they were to change that guideline for the average American, I will be the first to shout the news. But really, those masks are critically needed in hospital settings to protect healthcare workers. And the regular surgical masks, of course, are put on people who are actively sick, coughing and sneezing.
6: All right, we'll move on to the next question. Does the test for COVID-19 only test positive for the active viral disease or can it also test positive if you have had the virus and you have developed the antibodies
7: great question the answer is the one that's going around right now the test that is in circulation only checks for active infection however Hopefully, very very soon, in the next couple of weeks, maybe even, uh, the FDA will approve the serology test. That's to look for antibodies, so we know who has been exposed and do they have immunity. But again, sometimes it takes a while for our bodies to develop those antibodies after we've had a viral infection. So there's still a lot we don't know. But that test will be so important. Yes,
6: it certainly will. Uh, This next question is one I've asked myself: Should you sanitize the handles of the bags of? groceries, supplies, or the food you had delivered. I'm even saying, you know, the food you picked up at the grocery store.
7: Listen, there's no question that if the food handler or the delivery person uh, is sick and they touch your bag and you touch the bag and then touch your face, yes, you can get Mm. sick. So you don't need to really sanitize the bag. But as soon as you bring anything into your home, whether it's something that's delivered or something that you purchase, wash your hands. We can't say that enough. It's really important. Okay.
6: And our next question, with many of us being self-quarantined without a test. How accurate are the numbers being reported of who may or may not have the virus?
7: Not that accurate. And we've been saying from the beginning, you know, this case count is only as good as the denominator. So we need to know how many people have been exposed, how many are infected. And in order to do that, we need to test millions and millions of people. We're not there yet. So we have to take these numbers with a grain of salt, knowing that they are likely considerably higher. And we also have to look for the number recovered, which is difficult to report because we don't know how many people have been truly infected.
6: Yeah. I mean, So many people are sick for a number of reasons. That's just a a typical day in March. So this next question is pretty interesting Mm -hmm. because they ask, how does telemedicine work and what are the best sites or apps to use? Telemedicine is seeing a massive
7: boom right now, and I think it couldn't have come at a better time because a lot of times patients or people can interact with their health care provider, even one that they might not know um, previously, and a lot can be determined with a telemedicine consult or just a straight phone call. So ask your provider if you have one, whether they're shifting to telemedicine because a lot of the insurance requirements and regulations have been waived in the setting of this national emergency. And if you don't have a provider a lot of the major medical centers have this on their site so that patients who think they may be sick either with COVID-19 or with anything else that normally happens on a daily basis can interact
6: with a healthcare care professional. Yeah, that certainly keeps things much, much, much safer. All right. Our next question. This is interesting, although it is not thought that pets can transmit the virus Is it possible for the virus to transfer from human to human on the animal's fur through petting? Great question. We don't
7: know yet because, of course, no one has discovered that or even studied it. But what they have reported in a couple of case reports is in pets whose owners have been sick with COVID-19, that the pets have been found to have the coronavirus in their nose and mouth, probably from picking it up via contact. So... Of course, you want to be careful. We love our pets, but now is probably not the best time if you live with other
6: people to have your pet, you know, kissing you in the face or, right. you know. Dr. Jen, we appreciate it as always. Thank you. And if you have your questions for Dr. Jen Ashton, you, you can send them to her on her Instagram at Dr. J. Ashton.
0: This ABC News special continues after this. You're listening to an ABC News special. COVID-19, what you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent, Amy Robach.
6: Well, it is such a stressful time for all of us, and so many of us are struggling. But for those with serious addictions, alcohol, drugs, food times of crisis and isolation are even more dangerous. And here to talk with us about this is addiction specialist and creator of the Beacon program here in New York, Molly Carmel. Thank you so much for being with us, Molly. And as an addiction specialist, tell us what is going on, what you're seeing during this time of quarantine.
9: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's an anxiety provoking time for anybody and for people who are struggling with addictions or even recovering from addictions. This time of uncertainty, the increase in disconnection, disruption of schedule, change in environment, and frankly, the glorification of addiction right now, scrolling my Instagram feed, it's like a binge culture, drink culture. It can really make us want to be turning to immediate and impulsive behaviors, I mean, it's a time that we want to be feeling different than we're feeling, right? We want to be feeling good. We want to be feeling numb. We want to be feeling high. So cue these addictive behaviors for people who struggle um, who struggle with them. These are very familiar patterns that can be easy to go back to. Alcohol, drugs, overeating, gambling, shopping, sex,
6: you name it. So what are your tips for those who are at home, struggling? You say the first thing you should do is be flexible.
9: Absolutely. As a therapist, all I'm hearing is, like, it doesn't feel the same. My workouts don't feel the same. The therapy doesn't feel the same. And the truth is, it's not the same. But... These days, I think we have to say that something is better than nothing. And so getting our heads wrapped around this being new and this, we have to find a way to make this new life okay and reasonable for us.
6: Yeah, the next one you say is get off your devices.
9: Oh, yeah. I mean, talk about how isolating and crazy making those can be. And I'm not one to say we should be on a news cleanse at all, but finding a middle path between your scrolling and your information intake versus where it turns you into and towards spaces that doesn't feel useful towards you. I think it's finding a middle path and limiting your screen use and your news and your news feed.
6: Right. You want to be connected, but you don't want it to somehow be disruptive. So you also say, yeah, get, get, get a plan.
9: Absolutely. And I think that this is one of the more common suggestions right now is to get a plan but i think that you know certainly in addiction we thrive on schedule and i think there are things that people are overlooking so scheduling our meals scheduling our showering and i actually think scheduling our connection you know the opposite of addiction is connection and we can get isolated so quickly our minds can become a really dangerous neighborhood and so i'm actually saying to schedule reaching out to three people a day, you know, and by the way, it helps other people too. I know when I've been getting phone calls, I've been like, oh, I'm so glad to not think about myself today. You know what I mean?
6: Yeah, no, I think that's a great, great advice. And the next one you say is to be mindful. Yeah, I mean, the thing is,
9: like, we have a little bit of spare time, maybe not all the parents out there, but, you know, it's meditation and mindfulness. it's It's a biologically based intervention. It actually helps us to manage our anxiety, like Dan Harris was saying. And so... What a wonderful time to pick up a practice and not necessarily sitting quietly, but getting focused. There's so many ways that we can be managing our anxiety, working on our neural pathways and, you know, feeling I mean, we're certainly not going to be feeling exactly the way we felt a few months ago, but we can be doing better than we're doing and feeling better than we're feeling. It's certainly somewhat of a solvable problem. Yeah, we have that that power
6: within. Molly Carmel, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. As the need for social distancing intensifies, so many people are turning to video conferencing for things like work, education, socializing, and more. Joining us now to talk us through the impact of this increased traffic is Zoom's chief marketing officer, Janine Pelosi. And Janine, thanks for talking with us. For people who've been living under a rock and aren't familiar with Zoom at this point, explain what it is and how it differs from other video conferencing platforms.
2: Zoom is a video platform that's allowing us to really stay connected uh, to our colleagues, our family, our friends on multiple devices from your desktop, mobile phones, tablets, allowing businesses to continue to function um, and really in a productive way. And frankly, students across the globe continuing their education during these difficult times.
6: Yeah. And I mean, short term, obviously, we're seeing the huge benefit of this. But what do you believe the long term impact will be? What will this pandemic have had on telecommuting as a whole?
2: Well, you know, so it's like what we do know is the world is not going to be the same as it was a couple of months ago. And where that actually levels out, none of us really know. Um, But things like working remotely remotely telemedicine, um, using video to communicate whether it is with your, uh, your colleagues or something in your family, that's not going to go away. So I think the point is that it's really going to speed up the adoption of these kinds of technologies.
6: Zooms, Janine Pelosi, thanks for helping us all stay connected. And thanks for being with us today. When we come back, they may call themselves invisible hands, but their impact is very clear for all of us to see. The generous young army hard at work. will be back in just a moment.
0: This ABC News special continues after this. You're listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach
6: those looking for assistance during these challenging times are finding helping hands in the 20-somethings who created an organization called invisible hands the group rallies volunteers to deliver food medicine and other supplies for people who are vulnerable in the coronavirus pandemic and joining us now is co-founder liam elkind thanks so much for being with us and i know it's important to to talk about how in this world of social distancing you all are keeping your distance and yet still providing so much needed support. Tell us how you're doing this.
10: Yeah, no, it's a great question. So basically, we're just a group of grassroots organizers who came together and recognized the need in this community for safe, free deliveries to people who are most in need right now. So we're a group of almost 8,000, you know, mostly young, healthy people uh, just making deliveries, grocery deliveries, prescription deliveries, whatever it is that people need, and and making those social connections on the way while keeping our distance, of course. So we make sure to practice all kinds of sanitary guidelines as recommended by the CDC while also engaging and being able to get people what they need.
6: Yeah, we've been checking in with you over these this past week. How has business ramped up, so to speak? Give us a sense of how many people you're helping right now.
10: Yeah. I mean, it's been it's been crazy, but in the best way possible. So we're up to almost 8000 volunteers now. Uh, we've done almost 500 deliveries. We've raised over $30,000, all of which goes toward you know, maintaining the website and stuff, but mostly to subsidies uh, to help offset a little bit of the cost for the people who've been hardest hit by the economic shock of this disease as well. You know, no one should have to make that decision between prescription medicine and the food that they need to live. So we're trying to, to help people out with that oh, a little I'm, bit as well.
6: It's so incredible and to know that people have been generous in, in sponsoring you and helping you do what you you're doing what types of things are you bringing to these folks who who don't have any other way of getting them
10: yeah so it's really whatever people need the most so you know a lot of groceries a lot of prescriptions um a lot of people are just really lonely in these times. Mm. You know, this is a time of social isolation. But what we've said is, you know, that's maybe the wrong term. We can be physically distancing, but we can be socially engaging with one another. I've made a ton of friends throughout this whole process, uh, you know, intergenerational and then with other volunteers as well. So it's really been a sign of, of this whole community coming together, which is beautiful to
6: Liam, did I hear that you might have gotten a date? out of all of this too.
10: <laughs> yeah well uh, one woman i delivered to, she was lovely and we had a nice conversation and afterwards she sent me a picture of her granddaughter and her contact information so we'll see what comes out of it but, oh, but we, it's, it's we been must great get an update on that we
6: must get an update on that
10: yes, um, i'll keep you posted
6: give us a sense of, of the response you get when you bring these items to these folks who yes who may be lonely who might be desperate in in, in fact uh what are you hearing back from them
10: I've been hearing such tremendous gratitude, and a lot of people who say, you know, they remember the times after September 11th when you know, firefighters couldn't buy their own groceries for for months after because people were leaping to help. I think that people in this time are are hungry to help and hungry to build those connections and make new friends. So it's in this time when it feels like the world is pulling us apart. It's been beautiful to see us be able to come together a little bit.
6: It's brought out the best in you and so many others. Liam Elkind, thank you from the bottom of our hearts for what you've done for so many and what you're going to continue to do. So thank you.
10: Thank you for having me.
6: That's our program for today. I'm Amy Robach. Thanks for listening.
10: ABC News.
0: Honored. Winner of four Edward R. Murrow Awards. ABC News. America's number one news choice. You see headlines across your screen all day, but you're busy. What do you need to know? What's actually shaping your world? I'm Brad Milkey from ABC News, and every morning we start here. It was extraordinary for us watching here in Singapore. This is ABC's new daily podcast, a handful of stories, just 20
10: minutes. Director Comey, thanks for being with us. Newsmaker, smart reporting, taking you straight to the heart of the story. Start here. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts
0: or your favorite podcast app.